yeah, her Instagram is. I wonder if those are her initials or something. Yeah. Oh, because <laughs> her name's Sabrina. Oh, cute. Oh, she is cute. Hold on. Now I need to go see. Oh, and she's got a cute dog. Okay, I'm done like stalking somebody who makes a nice comment. <laughs> Making my yeah, way down. So effing cute. Oh, she is so cute. Oh, and her little boyfriend and their dog. Look at this. One day she's got a big floppy sun hat like a goddamn housewife and looks adorable. And the next day she's got a big old flannel with a hoodie and a backpack. Looks adorable. That's the exact picture I was looking at. Yeah. <laughs> And she's like, hi. Just like, mm, just being cute. Oh, you caught me off guard. Still cute. Ugh. Fuck you, Sabrina. And then there's just this random, like, Danny DeVito with, with an egg. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you know if you comment on her shit, like, we do this. We do. We're like, oh, look at this perfect, beautiful bitch. You stupid, gorgeous bitch. I want to be friends with her. <laughs> Show me how to enjoy the outdoors, Sabrina. <laughs> Let's watch a movie together. <laughs> Okay, okay. I had so much fun yesterday, dude. Thanks for hanging out. Mm, Even the Target yeah, We got thing. to hang out in person yesterday. Yeah. Because we're both vaccinated. Whoop, whoop. Pew, pew, pew. Pew, 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 pew. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> I feel like I was scream talking in Target. <laughs> yeah, I like I said, I'm not the person to gauge that. It's for my I butthole. <laughs> I have one friend who talks at the like decibel that I do. Who? Um, Megan. Who's Megan? Megan, not Megan, not that Megan. My friend Megan, uh, Andy's wife. Oh, okay. She's another like adorable angel face with a beaming smile. Um, but she like scream talks. Ugh, why am I even alive? It's like, what is the point? What is the point of me? <laughs> there's so many like beautiful people out there, and then there's just like me, like. <laughs> You're, you stop it. You stop it. I can't be in the presence of any other person speaking with you without them being like, what's going on with your hair? It's gorgeous. You look like a fucking unicorn. It's just the hair. Like, if you could cut out... Stop, di would... stop disconnecting it from you. <laughs> it's just the hair. It's your hair. And it's gorgeous. And your bangs look amazing. And it's like mullity, but it's also like ferrofocity. And you don't even do anything and it's like that. <sighs> You know, it's true. And you have amazing eyebrows and you have a cute little button nose and your wrists and ankles are super dainty. <laughs> That's the only dainty thing about me, which makes it so weird. Like, yeah, I, and you got a big fat ass. Oh, my God. Do you ever see me walking around? And you're like, Th those little shits are going to snap any second. <laughs> <laughs> OK, you're like Betty Rubble. <laughs> you're like, <"Ew." laughs> your feet just come down to a point at the bottom. Like Dexter's Labs mom. Like fucking <laughs> like the powder puff girls. Yeah, like a dump truck and then a fucking like <laughs> Okay, welcome to SVU Pod Especially Heinous. I'm Tasha. I'm Gabe. We're in season two, episode eighteen, fucking manhunt. This episode. It was good. Oof. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. 
opening scene, there's like this cute little couple named Butch and Annie. They were so fucked up on the names in this whole episode, but whatever. <laughs> cute little couple named Butch and Annie, and they walk out of a diner that they both work at. Butch is like really wanting to hang out with her and get a drink, and she's like, oh, I can't. I have to go home. I loved that after they parted ways, because Annie's like, I smell like fries. I'm just going to like go home. And he's like, mm, I love fries. And yeah. they part ways, and Butch is doing the thing where he talks to himself, rehashing what he said, and he's like, Ooh, I love French fries. You fucking stupid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was funny. He starts to hear her like yelling and like a muffled screaming, and he runs back to see a guy covering Annie's mouth mm-hmm. and shoving her into a four by four. He's like, "Whoa!" And the guy pulls a gun on Butch and tells him to back off. A bystander sees and runs over just as the dude is punching Butch or like pistol whipping him. Yeah. The guy drives off with Annie, and Butch and the bystander chase after the car and kind of get like like falling, get a little fucked up. Yeah. So Munch and Toots are on the scene. The victim's name is Annie Tassler. They call SVU because there was chloroform on the scene, and the only witnesses are Butch McGee. <laughs> His name is fucking Butch McGee. The writers are on vacation. Jeremy's back in town. Butch fucking McGee. Somebody was in the writer's room, like exhausted as shit, and they're like, Well, what's his name gonna be, Gary? And he's like, I don't fucking know. Butch McGee. <laughs> exactly. I'm gonna put it, I'm gonna write it. Write it. I don't give a shit. They're like, fine. Let's just fucking get out of here. Oh, my God. Butch McGee. I don't fucking care. Butch McGee. How about that? (laughs) Butch is the cook at the diner, and the bystander's name is fucking Marty Potter. Harry Potter's older brother. (laughs) When Harry was living under the stairs, he would, like, come over sometimes. Not often enough, but he would come over sometimes and be like, hey, sport, you want to go play catch or I'll take you to a movie or some shit? Right. Oh, we got 15 minutes. I got out of here. So what are you, like a wizard yet? (laughs) You haven't gotten your envelope? (laughs) Okay. The bystander is Marty Potter. Bystander is Marty Potter. So Toots is still like, okay, he's still confused as to why SVU was called. Mm. But Munch tells him that last summer, the Bowery Stalker abducted four women with the same MO, raped, tortured them, and then left their bodies stacked in a fucking warehouse. Yuck. Butch and Marty are doing all right. They're like hanging out in the ambulance. Um, They're a little shook up. Butch says that the dude had a baseball cap and a beard and was like pretty big. And he thinks he saw the dude in the diner, but never really got a good look at his face. Butch thinks he saw a tattoo of a cat or something on his forearm. And then I was like, oh my God, it better be like a super sick crawling panther tattoo. What do you think it is, Tasha? I immediately am like, okay, this guy's from fucking Florida and it's the Jacksonville Jaguars logo. (laughs) That's kind of close to what I... Yeah. Okay. We're both wrong, but... We're both... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Butch and Marty are going to talk to a sketch artist. The detectives turn away from them, and Toots and Munch are now having just a conversation between the two of them. And Toots asks Munch how long the stalker will keep her, and Munch replies, oh, until he's finished with her. And I fucking hate that that's true. Yeah. Theme song. (laughs) So... We're in the precinct. (laughs) (laughs) Craig and Stabler and Olivia are explained to Cabot what this dude's... (laughs) What the fuck is... Oh. (laughs) The the oboe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 
Okay. Craig and Stabler and Olivia are explaining to Cabot what this dude's MO is. He goes after petite women, uses chloroform, then takes off in a dark 4x4. And it's been almost a year since his last attack. So they thought he was like either moved or was underground. So Munch walks into the office. He's late from staying up all night interviewing witnesses. So the DA made this like top priority. And she knows how elusive this guy has been and just really wanted to help. Munch takes it personally because he was on this case last year and didn't nab the guy. So he's like, what do you think I can't do it? (laughs) And Craig is like, dude, nobody's fucking blaming you chill out and then munch is all sassy and is like why would you start a team meeting without me then hmm i disagree i so i know yeah well i know that you get to hate on munch pretty hard my default is hating munch but i do give him props when he's doing yeah things to be propped for i was watching this and i was going i think he's got an attitude about wanting to be included because he feels this strong sense of responsibility like his bedside manner this episode is fucking great he is really great and he cares about the survivors Mm -hmm. and the victims Mm -hmm. so so i'm gonna go ahead and play devil's advocate and be like "Mm." yeah i don't think it was his ego that was getting in the way here okay see at this point i was like oh my god is this going to be a whole fucking munch episode no But yeah, it actually is. This episode it was really is, good. is actually the first episode of SVU that focused on a different team rather than Benson, Benson and Stabler. Stabler. Yeah. So like if you notice, like there's very little they seem like side characters in this episode. Yeah. Which is fine. It's a great fucking episode. I'm really glad that when they did focus on another set of partners, it ended up being a really good episode regardless. It just shows that like the whole cast is like great and necessary yeah but anyway yeah a lot of munch this episode's munch heavy the super munchy yeah. yeah munch is like i have it all covered this is my fucking catch craigan wants benson and stabler to help with canvassing and then craigan kind of puts him in his place craigan was like i'm not gonna fight with you on this he just does his dad thing steps up and he's like look you're still primary but that doesn't mean you don't need backup the only agenda is catching this guy before he kills again so fucking like buck up that's the thing to focus on nothing else your ego yeah. or whatever reasons you have for being taken this personally Right. We're done here. This right. Because that victims. can fuck up the investigation, too. Yeah. Craigan sends Munch and Cabot off so that Munch can give Cabot more information. Munch is feeling Cabot in about this Bowery stalker guy. So about a year ago, this woman named Sarah Kimmel stumbled into a bar half naked, beaten, and claiming that a man with a beard imprisoned her as his sex slave and in an abandoned warehouse. So SVU raided it and found... A makeshift cell. The whole thing was like stocked with like sex toys and torture devices. And there were four mutilated bodies. That's fucking disgusting. Yeah. It's awful. Can you, oh, I can't even imagine going through that. No. There were a few fingerprint partials and DNA, but nothing in the system matched anybody. They watched the building for a month, but the dude disappeared. But he's back. Dude must have found a new place to torture and new victims. Right. Toot screams, John! (laughs) (laughs) Toots thinks they got... It was just weird. John! Toots thinks they got a hit on some of the details Butch gave him. A guy named Frank Taggart on parole for assault, and he works as a custodian at the fish market. So now we are at the fish market with Munch and Toots. They're talking about how gross it would be to work at the fish market, and Munch is like, Aqua Velva is good for covering up the scent. And we're like, okay, Munch. And then, oh my God, this dan connor looking motherfucker <laughs> named olive but he's like hey 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 munch man <laughs> yeah yeah and gives munch like a big hug and i fucking love him i have like a dan connor crush yeah of course there had to be a reason why you fucking watched roseanne so much <laughs> <laughs> it was so good 
<laughs> and I saw him and I was like, this guy is some frosted tips and a flame button up away from Guy Fieri. Like, totally. He's a good mash between the two. Regardless, he is jolly as fuck and the happiest person to ever see Munch. Yes. He and Munch grew up together and the guy still likes him. So the suspect, Frank Taggart, does work there still, but not a whole lot. And he points the detectives in the direction of Frank Taggart. So the two of them head out to where Frank is unloading a truck with a couple of other guys. Okay, so they, they turn away from Dan Connor slash Guy Fieri. And when they do, it's like this tight, narrow space. There's this extra with 90s Jerry Seinfeld hair who gets like pinned to the wall as he tries to squeeze yeah. by. Did you <laughs> yeah. see that guy? I did. I was I'm like, go back and take a picture of him. He's like, <laughs> I, I wondered if there was like, um, at first I thought for a second that maybe it was him and that he got away or something. Yeah. You know, but there was no, there was no reason for it. It was just some guy that didn't have room to go between the wall and Munch. Yeah. But so they get out to the truck and Frank ignores them and starts to walk off. And this scene was so fucking funny to me. And mm -hmm. I know I'm like, being an acting critic again, but this dude just tries to casually walk by in his Marty McFly vest like they're not going <laughs> to stop him. The whole thing was very one, two step kickball change fucking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he grabs toots to throw him onto this pile of fish and Munch pulls his gun out and puts it to his head and he's like, hold it right there. And then immediately yeah. takes it away and like kind of just stands back with it dangling at his side. Because it's like Toots wrestles uh, with him like one of the jets. Yeah. Hopefully he took it off his head because he's like, fuck, I wasn't supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, like, that escalated way faster than I needed yeah. to. So Toots is super pissed because his jacket he wears every episode is new now. Yeah, because he got like fish all over it. <laughs> and then Munch is like, two words, aqua velva. And I'm like, nobody wants your terrible suggestions, Munch. <laughs> what the fuck is aqua velva? I was thinking like aquanet, hairnet stuff. I don't know what it is. No, is, is it's it a like cologne. A, and I can cologne. only imagine what it fucking smells like. All right, so we're in the interrogation room. The cat tattoo is, it's a picture of a tiger ripping through his arm. Yeah, which is pretty sick to be honest yeah and they, they take <laughs> i have a lot of I, a lot of my tattoos are stuff like coming out of my like i got the talon and the sharpie as soon as i saw like his real tattoo i was like oh gabe's gonna like that <laughs> and they take a minute to be like where'd you get that and he's like almost tats on eighth and they're like "Ooh!" <laughs> and i just almost tats on eighth i just pictured a red sesame street puppet like <laughs> arm wiggling from the tattoo machine like you know he's like <laughs> or just like elmo with the sign out front like flipping it around <laughs> Almost chats on eighth. Uh, uh, and then I was like, one, two, three. <laughs> Get it? Different sesame street to eight. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to do all of it. Kermit's at the front desk. Just going. <laughs> He's like, oh, you want that cat ripping through your arm? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Munch and Toots are grilling Frank about where he was when the abduction happened. And he said that he was in a bar called Rusty's in Alphabet. Apparently, this dude beat the shit out of his girlfriend. And he's like, that was a misunderstanding. And they go into all this detail about the fucking physical abuse that he's pulled on mm -hmm. women. And I'm like, a misunderstanding. I feel like punching someone in the face sends a pretty clear message. And this guy's a yeah. fucking loser. Like, punching through her teeth isn't a misunderstanding. Ugh. So he yeah. denies kidnapping. Annie. So back in the squad room, we've got a Craig and Toots Munch walk and talk. Mm -hmm. Munch and Toots checked out the bar and said that Frank ducked out at around 11 p.m. the night of Annie's abduction, and that gives him enough time to get to the diner. 
but he doesn't have a 4x4 registered to him. Cragen wants Butch and Marty to come down for a lineup and include Sarah Kimmel in IDing them. Remember, she's the victim that got away from the Bowery killer last year. Mm -hmm. Munch doesn't want to go the Sarah Kimmel route because she's like fucked up from it, obviously. Yeah. And Cragen's like... Okay, but we get IDs from the other two and then match the DNA for Sarah Kimmel, but we will use her if we need to because she's our insurance policy. Yeah. So I like that Munch is being mindful of a survivor. Yeah, I do too. I, you know, I do understand though too. Craigan's like, you know, she was with him, raped and tortured for two days. Like she's got to remember his face. Like yeah. we obviously want to respect survivors and stuff too, but ultimately like this is going to happen to other women and like, you know. Gotta, yeah, so they were going to bring her in, but they weren't going to make her do any IDing unless, unless they it was to. necessary. Yeah. Well, guess yeah. what? Right. So now we're in the lineup. They're behind the glass. Butch wants to see if they have tattoos, but Cabot needs him to ID the guy without prejudice. So he's asked to recognize him without seeing tattoos. Mm-hmm. But he didn't really get a good look at the guy's face. And it was actually the one thing that he did get a good look at. And I'm like... That sucks because if any of us learned anything from Liam Neeson, it is to look at distinguishing characteristics that might set someone apart so you can ID them. If I saw that someone had a tattoo, I would focus on their tattoo. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'd be like, Mm -hmm. okay, I want to look at that and make sure I get a good look at that. See, in the two seconds that I have, I I felt the other. I totally understood that because like brains are weird, and we all know that like the fucking recognizing people shit doesn't work that well. If they saw a tattoo, I'd be like tattoo oh that's gotta be him that yeah no that's true marty on the other hand picks out number four wait no number five he he doesn't really know but he sticks to five well number five is actually officer peters which by the way could happen well because they act like they're like oh he id'd sergeant peters as officer peters as the one and they're like he'll think that's hilarious you know and it's like or maybe you should be like huh why do they like never why are they always surprised when it's a cop that gets arrested? I don't know. I don't know. Tell us your fun facts. So the top three professional slash government serial killer occupations are police officer slash security, military personnel, and religious official. Mm. And you can see why they're drawn to these jobs. It's like a veneer of respectability and like rarely are they questioned. Yeah. And you have this authority, like... Right, yeah. So now we're in the squad room. Sarah Kimmel is in a room, and she's, like, rightfully extremely scared. Munch is trying to help her feel better by saying that he can't hurt her anymore. And she says... Oh, God, this broke my heart. She says, I'm 28, living on disability because I can't leave my apartment without falling apart. Don't tell me he can't hurt me anymore. I was like, oh! Yeah, there's a lot more to it than just him getting his physical hands on her. And the worst part about that shit to me is, like, is like, like, like rapists and stuff, and, like serial killers is like the ones that if the ones that got away or the the ones that they let go do they get off on knowing this person's life is like forever ruined oh that's so fucked so munch is like hey he's gonna be hurting someone else and Mm -hmm. like we wouldn't ask you if we didn't have to this is where i want to pause and appreciate this munch because although i know that the bar is soups low like Mm -hmm. for him to be decent but his bedside manner here with her specifically is fantastic yeah so we're in the lineup swelly music fucking cellos she starts sobbing and i I was kind of thinking like oh my god he's in there Mm. but he's not he's not there so she's like oh my god he's not here and she collapses into munch's arms yeah and he just like holds her now we're back at sarah's apartment 
Munch and Toots escort her to her apartment. She thanks them for the ride and goes inside. She shuts the door and the detectives stay and have a chat between themselves in the hallway. Munch is super upset that she had to come down for nothing. And Toots mm-hmm. says that Frank said that his tattoo was an original from Elmo's on 8th. Mm-hmm. And Toots wonders how many of that one specific tattoo are, quote, originals and walking around New York. Right. And I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to a tattoo shop and Gabe's going to pick apart every fucking frame and I need popcorn. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not only is it Munch, who you love to drag, mm-hmm. it's fucking an NBC depiction of what a tattoo shop is and yeah. like what an employee of a tattoo shop is. This dude yeah. was the owner. The owner fucking bottle blonde Travis Barker. <laughs> he had like slightly grown out bleach blonde hair travis barker face drummer for blink 182 Mm -hmm. and like a couple face tattoos in your face fucking soundcloud rappers 20 years later (laughs) yeah he had like this tribal thing around his eye too Mm -hmm. which i thought was kind of funny munch he's just looking at some flash on the wall there's like some fucking cherry creek shit like shit that everybody was doing back then and there's like this little sailor jerry flash sheet that i literally have on my wall at the shop It's so cute. So last year, a guy came in with this tiger drawing and he wanted it tattooed. The guy had liked the dude's work so much that he let him keep the art. And he was like, as a bonus. As a bonus. And I was like, yeah, thanks for the tip. Okay, whatever. That wouldn't, ha- yeah, that wouldn't happen. That wouldn't happen. Like, he- it's literally here, you throw this away. Yeah. You don't want that. He's not going to have it f- fucking corkboarded. Oh my God. In all the years that I've been doing this, <laughs> this fucking cat shredder is the best thing I've fucking seen. <laughs> this is the perfect cat shredding its way out of a skin I've ever seen in my life. So this tattooer has this guy's art pinned up on the fucking wall as if that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said he's copied it a few times. But he's like, people are into goth these days. And I didn't know what that means. But then I was thinking, like, maybe when people were into, like, black and gray creepy clowns and, like, demons and crying angels and gargoyles with, like, white eyes and shit. Like, my friend used to tattoo around that time. Mm-hmm. And he did a lot of that shit. He, like, loved it. While they're talking about this, there's this client sitting there waiting to get tattooed. And he looks like he's doing that thing where you swallow over and over when you feel like you're going to barf, um, but you're trying to be cool and subtle about it. He's just like sitting there staring at the floor going, Oh my God, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, I hope you ate something before your appointment because this is not going to go well for you. <laughs> I had somebody barf once. Really? Oh yeah. I had told I her felt to eat. nauseous before, but it's like, I know it's because I'm like, I need to eat a handful of nuts and I brought a Ziploc bag. It's in my purse. Yeah. No, she, I told her to eat and she didn't. And I like looked up and I was like, Oh, she's green. And I like pushed my chair back and I kicked my trash can over and it (laughs) slid right as she was barfing and it like landed in the trash can. It was like amazing. But then I was like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you did it and you're like, Kobe. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, she had a friend there. So I didn't say anything. I just like took off my gloves and my shoes and I went in the back room. Yeah. Because I'm like, she'll be fine. Right. Her friend's there. If I start barfing, it's going to be a whole thing. Yeah. So and then it came out. I was like, yeah, right. She's like, I didn't eat anything. And I was like, oh, I'm sure you didn't. <laughs> and it was like black barf because it was Pepsi. It was disgusting. Ew. I just remember this, the whole, this whole thing. Yeah. It, I was, it just worked out you so like perfect. You like matrixed, caught her barf in your trash can. Yeah. I've been really lucky with that stuff. Like people work. have been shit on, pissed on, Shit on? on. 
Yeah, I think my friend Dave had somebody shit in his in his chair. <gasps> shit themselves. Bodies are weird though, dude. They do weird stuff, and you don't. I don't like want to shame anybody for that stuff because like it fucking bodies are just weird. You know, that's why um, I always tell people because they everybody's always nervous and they should be. I'm always nervous before I get a tattoo because it's fucking hurts. Yeah. I'll be like, dude, if you feel funny, just tell me because I don't think that you're a pussy. I don't think I don't care. Like body. This I know. Sucks. I mean, that's what's good about your guys's shop, though, because because people do think they have to be like hard asses and whatever. I fucking thought that shit when I was younger. Now I'm mm-hmm. like fucking almost 40 and I'm like, hurry up. Ah! You know, <laughs> <laughs> so the guy that brought the art in originally said that the cat was the name of his platoon in the service. And this guy's going down the list of people that have gotten it since. And he's like, the ones who want it are hard to forget. An old dude with his cat on a leash, a woman wrestler, and the guy who smelled like rotten fish, and the guy who brought it in, the one who said it was from his platoon. He's like, he's a big mm. guy with a beard. And I was like... I want to meet these other people. Yeah. Uh, go talk to the wrestler. Go talk to the guy with his cat on a leash. I want to talk to these fucking people. Yeah. But the tattooer lets Munch and Toots take the art and they take off. I can't believe you let him take the art. It was like, it's fucking priceless. It's priceless. That was a bonus. <laughs> I'll make a copy for you guys. <laughs> and then when the guy starts tattooing again, it's like, it wasn't even like the sound of a tattoo machine. It was just, and then he's just like... <laughs> You know, <laughs> like like stirring cookies really hard. Yeah, and you're like, okay. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> and I was like, what is happening? Whatever. The guy's like, it's cool. I want a spirograph. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so now we're in forensics. Dude tells Munch and Toots he's got two sets of prints off the picture. One from the shop owner and the other is John Doe. He then ran it against the alternate databanks and found out that the prints belong to Daryl R. Kern, who was dishonorably discharged from the army in 99, which is around the same time the attack started. Munch calls into the DMV to get info to see if the dude has a green 4x4 and get his address. Yeah. So we're at Kern place now munch toots the super and the swat are all in the hallway ready to kick some ass munch pounds on the door makes their presence known swat knocks it down no one's fucking there Kern's place is covered in army shit the tiger image is on the wall and toots is like cool cat and i'm like don't toots He also has a hefty easy pass bill and he's always going to the same place. Right. They were like rifling through his shit while Toots was admiring all the shit on the walls. Munch found some open mail. So now we're in the squad room. His easy pass is showing he goes along the same route going back to last June. Dude has a four by four course. Munch and Toots are explaining this to the gang like they're in the SNL sketch of the Californians. (laughs) Yeah. Go up the 101 and (laughs) you gotta hit the five and turn up on the 10. (laughs) Yeah. They talked about the directions for a long time yeah it was weird so kern goes up to a tiny town called walden falls two days later he takes the same route back to the city so seven women missing within a fucking day of each of these trips yeah which is insane craigan tells munch and toots to pack their bags because they're going up there Road trap. Trap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did you write that down for yourself because i didn't write Road that trip yeah <laughs> i didn't write it down i just said it and we said it at the same time <gasps> I wrote it down with like uh, 20 O's and A's and I's. <laughs> so now we're up north, which is what we call the northern part of the state in Wisconsin. But in New York, they call it upstate. Munch and Toots are getting out of the car 
in this small town, Walden Falls or whatever, and mm-hmm. they're fighting about how Toots drives. And I'm going, fucking lay off Munch. He's from the city. Like, you know, there's people that are from the city that don't get their license until they're like 25, if at all. And also, mm-hmm. Munch, stop being George Costanza's mom. It's like, you need <laughs> to take a course in driving in dangerous conditions. I don't like pills. Drive better. <laughs> I don't like bills. <laughs> oh, the drama mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cragen had faxed the local police the whole file so they know what's going on. I wonder how long that took to fax it, the oh whole file. Oh my God, one sheet at a time. I don't I know. know how faxes work. <laughs> They're like, where's your cover letter? Who's this even for? <laughs> Munch, go wait in the car. <laughs> where's the cup holders? <laughs> Everybody pour out the coffee. We don't have any cup holders. We want to make good time. Pour out your coffee. <laughs> this is going to weigh us down. George. <laughs> Munch and Toots are let into the chief's office. He's a heavy set hand talker and he's ready to help. Like this guy is so yeah. helpful. He's also excited that they're there. He's like, get you a cup of coffee, soda pop, something. So you think you got a fugitive hiding up here? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I know just about everybody in town. So if he's here, he's keeping a low profile. And he then introduces them to Officer Cheryl Baxter. And he's like, anything you need, just ask her. Munch and Toots want to start at Smitty's Pump and Save. AKA Tasha's nickname in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Smitty's pump and save. (laughs) So it seems to be a regular stop for Kern. And then the chief's like, you need anything else? You just give us a holler. And I'm like, you're so helpful. Too helpful, maybe? I've got my eye on you. Yeah, Yeah. I did. I did. I had my eye on Cheryl Baxter. Did you? Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. All of the ruses. Yeah. So now we're at Smitty's pump and save. I'm in the back. (laughs) (laughs) So a worker recognizes um, Kern from the pick and says he has a cabin just outside of town. This worker said he saw him with a lady friend recently and he thinks Kern likes to hunt because he spent a lot of time in Jordy's guns and ammo. He figured he was sucking up. Yeah. Munch shows him the pick of Annie too, but the guy can't idea. He's like, oh, is this his lady friend? And he's like, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I don't fucking know. So now we're at Jordy's guns and ammo. Obviously, this guy's a fucking douche. I don't know. The owner or worker recognizes Kern by the name of Arnold Coakley. He just pushes back a little bit. He he doesn't know Munch and Toots, but Officer Baxter lets him know that they're fine. Yeah, she's like the big city small town liaison between everybody. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, fine, I'll give you your file. Uh, guns and rights and... Uh. He tells him that Kern slash Coakley has stocked the fuck up, but he didn't want to share his paperwork and goes off about shit turning into Russia. And I'm like, oh my God, fuck you. Thoughts and prayers, fucking automatic weapons. We don't need to go mm-hmm. off about it, but this is fucking stupid. Yeah. So they take the file. Yeah. I mean, what's going to happen? They're going to be like, all right, thanks. No. Why are you opposed to them looking at the paperwork that should be filled out appropriately for somebody to get a gun? Yeah. Shouldn't you be all about like, where's my fucking, where's my shit, my fucking rights? Look at the Constitution. (laughs) Yeah, if you give a shit about shit in writing, then fucking have your paperwork in order. Whatever. Yeah, I know. I fucking know. Fucking pull your pants up to your tits and just yell about fucking black kids in your yard, you fucking asshole. (laughs) Constitution. (laughs) I couldn't remember what amendment it was. Is it the Second Amendment? Second, yeah. Second Amendment. I was like, you're the superstar. So please leave all of that in, please. I will. I fucking hate guns. I hate guns. Now we're at the fucking police station. (laughs) Sorry, I've still got one little tear for the crush (laughs) two (laughs) for. 
Officer Cheryl Baxter is letting Toots know that they computerized all their files a few years ago. And either Kern or Coakley should be in the file somewhere. And Toots is impressed with the beige computer software. Cabot yep. uses 90s Microsoft color palette for suit inspo, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. She's like, ooh, this is nice. Does it come in Dell? <laughs> <laughs> Did you see it was like a super beige? Sorry, I went off about Cabot. I was Googling 90s computers. That's how much I wanted to make that fucking joke. <laughs> and I love you for it. Uh. <laughs> so Bunch pops in and said Benson had called and told him about a missing persons report. Arnold Coakley and his wife Amanda went missing from Tribeca five months ago. <gasps> and since Coakley's ID was used... In a fraudulent firearms transaction, ATF is getting involved, Mm. which might not be a bad thing since dude is stocking up on firearms and stuff. Yeah. So Officer Cheryl Baxter's computer search is done, and there's no files on Kern or Coakley. Munch wants Baxter to look into the names of the other women who went missing during the times of Kern slash Coakley's... I'm just going to keep saying Kern. Yeah, just say Kern. Munch wants Baxter to look into the names of the other women who went missing during the time of Kern's trip's to see if they coincide. So now we're at the Blackbird Motor Lodge. Toots is mad that him and Munch have to share a room. Toots has gone on about in narcotics. They sometimes got their own rooms and apartments to create new identities while undercover. And I'm like, well, you're not fucking undercover right now, so they're not going to give you a fucking whole apartment. Mm-hmm. And their little beds are so close to each other. I felt like they could just like hold hands when they slipped. And, and I really <laughs> hope that they did. The gap between the beds was so narrow that if someone dropped their phone between them, they'd have to move the beds to get it. Yeah. Or you just like put your head on the other bed and try to dangle your arm down yeah it's so narrow that they could rest a bowl of popcorn there when they watch a movie together later that night and you're gonna fight about what to watch toots is gonna want to watch like fucking heat or training day or something and munch will be like oh there's this documentary about medieval french boats let's watch this (laughs) anyway the beds are close together Okay. Medieval French boats. <laughs> so Munch asked Toots why he left narcotics. Because, you know, they've never really talked about it that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Toots said, like they're talking about it off camera, please. Toots said his partner took a bullet that was meant for him. And that sort of, quote, like took the fun out of all of it. <laughs> Turns out my job was dangerous. Ugh. Oh, my God. Toots asked Munch why he left homicide. And he said he came back from Baltimore after his last marriage broke up. And the only opening in his bracket was SVU. He thought it would be good to not deal with dead bodies all the time. He's like, I didn't know the living victims are the ones that break your heart the most. Bonding. Mm-hmm. Munch's fucking phone rings. It was Stabler asking about some fucking blueprints. SVU has been going through current shit and found some blueprints for a bomb shelter drawn up by a contractor in Walden Falls, where they are right now. Mm-hmm. Toots throws him a phone book because Munch def- needs to find the number to the business. And in case anyone is wondering, nobody's wondering. A phone book. <laughs> <laughs> it had a book of names and numbers and addresses of people that you in the whole town that you could look through and find a person or business you need to talk to. You literally had to ask to not be in the phone book mm-hmm. or you were just like automatically put in. And they threw these on everyone's doorsteps. Like people could just literally look your ass up and just call your house or show up there. Can you believe that shit? Can you fucking I, believe that shit? I don't. It's so much easier to find people now. It just amazes me that you're like the phone book when like. What do you mean? I, it, it literally had I can a- reverse Google image something like Internet detecting. Yeah, but you have to like go and do a, something. You could just go in your kitchen and grab the book and be like, Krajan. And it was just, you say my maiden name. (laughs) Maiden. It's 
just bananas that they just they gave the whole town your address yeah you had to ask not have your address in there right so Munch I think call. it's crazy. I think that's it crazy. Is, yeah, it's sure, sure. It was yeah. the it was the fucking. I'm not good at internet sleuthing, is what I'm finding out. I guess not because it's <laughs> you're so mad about the technology from 20 years ago, which is a phone book. Meanwhile, you're like like this is the uh, analog version of being like anti the COVID shot because you're like I'm not gonna have my name in the phone book and be able to be tracked I'm not getting a COVID vaccination and that fucking is not getting the microchipped it's, you're, an, it's the same no it's not it's the same <laughs> it's not like what if you just walked into a diner and you saw your name and address just sitting on like a counter that anybody could see it You'd be like, oh, that's weird. I don't like that. Yeah. I mean, right? I guess. I guess I don't think it's that weird. But the whole town had it. The whole city has your name I guess I'm a fucking sheep, Gabe. I guess. (laughs) Bah, Tasha. Drink the (laughs) Kool-Aid. I just think that was bananas. That was a thing. So Munch calls Officer Cheryl Baxter to see if she knows the owner of McCartney Lumber and Cement. Duh, she does. And Munch wants him to meet them at the station in 20 minutes because this shit's a big deal. We're back at the police station, the like small town police station. The chief and the ATF dude are like nose to nose fighting about jurisdiction and who it belongs to. The ATF guy's like, this is a federal matter. And the chief, who was once very jolly, isn't so much anymore. And he's like, this is my office. Play by my rules or get out. Yeah. (laughs) Munch and and Toots walk in and tell everybody to, like, chill out. And the chief's little doughy face is looking at Munch like, tell him to listen to me. (laughs) The ATF guy's name is Gus Stone. Oh, my God. The fucking names in this, dude. I'm Gus Stone, ATF. Munch wants Stone and the ATF folks to chill and get out of there and let the cops do their jobs. <laughs> and when he says this, the chief is like kind of standing behind the ATF guy a little bit. And he side eyes him like, yeah, <laughs> told ya. Stone says that they have a federal warrant out for Kern's arrest. And Munch is like, well, we want to make sure he doesn't kill another woman. So we're going to go ahead and take this. Baxter shows up with the blueprints for Kern's bomb shelter and asked Mr. McCartney, the contractor who built the shelter, if he recognized them. And he's like, yep, I built it for him. I'm not racist or anything. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, money's green, right, guys? (laughs) Yeah. So apparently this dude came in last June saying he wanted a bunker to get ready for the Armageddon and race wars. Yeah. Gulp. And the other guy's just like, um. He built it on some land that already had a cabin on it. The ATF guy and the chief are ready to head out and get to that fucking bunker. Mm-hmm. And out pops the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> 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 Such a good show. Oh my god, so good. So good. A couple of oh mole god. women. <laughs> so now we're on the land. There's a bunch of local cops and ATF. These fucking people, they're like dumbly stumbling across this land. I swear to god, a guy was like a guy like ran into a tree just like walking. <laughs> one of the cops, one of the cops has his gun drawn like fucking Charlie's Angels and he's hiding behind a tree that's like <laughs> half as wide as him. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like fucking Bugs Bunny character or some shit. Like we can all see. Whoop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they're all surrounding this cabin. They kick all the doors in. The chief yells for Munch and Toots to come over to the bunker doors. Mm. He dramatically points down the stairs like one of those girls from The Shining. He's mm-hmm. like, we've got something here. Mm-hmm. No, he's like, we got something here. Yeah. <laughs> 
So they go down and they find a woman face down covered in blood. It's Annie. Munch says, oh, I'm sorry, Annie. Mm. There's all kinds of torture devices and sex toys everywhere. Ugh. Ugh. So the ground is frozen on the land, but the cops have already uncovered 15 fucking bodies buried in shallow graves. Mm-hmm. Three of them being fucking children. According to the tire tracks, it looks like Kern pulled out about an hour before they got there. And Toots is like, I think somebody tipped him off. Then I'm thinking, oh my God, it's fucking Officer Cheryl Baxter. Like she's, she's Kern's wife or sister or lover or something. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to go the obvious route and say that it was the gun shop owner. Oh, and he just he left my brain this second that the scene was done. I was like, I've been mad at him since I saw him on screen and I don't know when I'm going to shake it. <laughs> Yeah. So we're down in the bunker and the local medical examiner who must know Skoda because she borrowed one of his turtlenecks is oh. giving Munch the lowdown on how fucked everything is. Yeah. So Annie's got broken bones, contusions, flesh pulped and bruises. She'd also been penetrated by foreign objects, possibly a knife, oh. before he shot her in the face with a forty-four. Oh, my fucking God. I know. Officer Cheryl Baxter pops down and tells Munch they found something in the cabin that he needs to see. So they're in the cabin. Chief and Baxter think that he has an accomplice because there is an operation manual of sorts. The last entry was the day before. Yeah. It had instructions in it on what to do next in case his position had been compromised. Munch thinks serial killers are usually loners, but when they do pair up, the stronger personality becomes the dominant one, and they think it's like a single pert, but the partner may live in the shadow of him. This, like, manual journal thing says that they are going to rendezvous at some point and that the worm is in the apple and toots is like the big apple and we're like thanks toots we're gonna go yeah. back to new york so now they're at svu munch and toots are giving craig and the load on about this journal kern refers to himself as the eagle and his accomplice the worm the journal also mentions quote targets aka victims and quote operations aka torture and mutilation dating back for three fucking years this dude has like way more victims than they know about and this dude has killed entire families for ids and credit cards and even killed the guy to get that cabin that he was staying at that he built that bunker on which explains why there's such a range in victims yeah. yeah now that the guy's shit is compromised he's coming back to new york city to pick up his accomplice and get out of there kind of think the accomplice is an army buddy since the they communicate in like the pseudo military jargon kern was stationed at fort dix <laughs> craigan knows a guy who was close to the co and they want to go figure that shit out right so now we're at fort dix munch and toots are talking to the co Which, uh, this is Tasha's nickname in high school <laughs> <laughs> Four dicks. Uh. That's your nickname now. This is my nickname for my vagina, yeah. Four dicks. <laughs> so Munch and Toots are talking to the CO, and you see the tiger thing from the tattoo, like where he got the tattoo from. The mm-hmm. and it's like a bobcat or a mountain lion or something. It's not a tiger. It's a it's the color of Cabot's pantsuit. Um yeah. and there's another dude there that's the CO's assistant or something, but the CO talks like fucking American Bane. He's like it's an elite group trained for specialized tactical operations. Did you think he taught, like, as soon as he fucking spoke, I was like, oh, no, I didn't catch it at all. Oh my God. Munch is like Kern's outfit, like asking, like, is that where Kern was at? And the CEO's like, mine from the Gulf War. The closest Kern ever got to an operation of any significance was running to the cellar for a batch of potatoes. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, CO, you fucking shade queen. <laughs> right. So apparently Kern was trained as a weapons specialist, but spent so much time in KP that they resigned him to the kitchen permanently. 
I'm not sure what KP is. Uh, I just assumed it was like a, like, a, like a military jail or like detention or whatever. You know? Yeah, like he got in trouble a lot or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. know. Kern had the idea that the military enjoyed killing things, and that's the attitude that got him dishonorably discharged. In one instance, he skinned a squirrel and tried to put it in stew when he was working in the kitchen. Like, mm-hmm. the squirrel that the other guys fed nuts and stuff to, like, he was like a mascotty pet kind of guy that hung out mm-hmm. in the backyard. And everyone was like, what are you doing, you fucking psycho? Yeah. So they all jumped him, and Kern pulled a knife and was sent to the brig and under went therapy he was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder and therefore was deemed unfit for duty toots wants to know who kern's buddies were he kept to himself apparently except for a guy who delivered goods to the kitchen the company the dude worked for is magoo's vending company what is happening tasha (laughs) what is happening magoo's vending company aka gabe's vagina (laughs) lots of nuts Coming in and out of there. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Okay, Okay. now we're at Magoo's fucking vending company. Munch and Toots found out that the dude's name is Marvin Posey. Yeah, he's one of the boss's best guys. Yeah. He's not working today. He had his National Guard maneuvers, aka Weekend Warrior stuff, but it's fucking Thursday. Yeah. The owner's like, sometimes it lasts a week, but Marv's doing his duty, so he doesn't mind. It never lasts a week, right? It's always like a weekend thing. Um, yeah. And the guy, the guy is like flexing in front of the cops or whatever. He's like, can't say that for half the lazy slackers around here. Excuse me. Hey, numb nuts. You gonna smoke that whole pack? Or you think you might make your run sometime today? And the guy... <laughs> That he's screaming at nods at him like the gif of that lumberjack guy where it zooms in really hard and he's kind of looking over his shoulder and gives <laughs> that like, like tiny little mm-hmm. nod. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So these like maneuvers usually happen like once a month. So mm-hmm. they get his address from him. So now we're at Murph's house. SWAT team and detectives surround the house. They knock on the door and his this sweet little old lady opens the door and tells him that Marv left this morning. Uh, She's like, oh my God, are you guys all friends? Because of everybody had guns. They had their guns drawn on her and like fucking cocked and shit. And she's like, oh, hi. Hi, boys. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't even flinch she lets them in for tea she's marv's aunt mary and she's the sweetest her accent is like mr wilson's wife in the dennis the menace movie it's just like really softly british yeah you know like she's gonna read them that wink and blink and nod story that she tells in the movie <laughs> i don't mm. remember oh apparently marv's dad beat his mother to death with a tire iron when marv was just a kid she's telling the story in between asking munch if he likes milk with his tea i'm just like wow you're scary yeah you're sweet but you're scary she says she doesn't know where he is because it's a secret he's with the green berets and shows them his uh marv's scrapbook which is literally under toot's elbow i know so stupid (laughs) why is your scrapbook this right here can i open it yeah so Toots is going through it and sees a pic with Marvin and Kern together. Oh my God, Marvin is the good Samaritan witness Marty Potter from the beginning. He wasn't trying to stop the 4x4. He was fucking trying to get in it. Oh my God. What? Munch is so mad at himself for not seeing it. But how could you? I know, but he prides himself yeah. on being a good cop. The two cops leave and Munch is outside losing his shit because he's so pissed. Yeah. Toots takes a phone call and it's the state police. They found Kern's 4x4 at the shopping center outside of Walden Falls. A bald, clean-shaven man got out of it and carjacked a mom and her kid in a blue Taurus headed to Canada. And he also 
took them as hostages. Oh my God. Now we're in the squad room with the whole crew. The reason Kern knew they were on his tail is because Marty Potter, AKA Marvin Posey, knew what was going on this whole time. Kern was along when he jacked that fucking car. Mm-hmm. And he looks different being clean shaven. New travel partners, like with the people he took as hostages. So they're, it's easier to slip the border because they're not looking for oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. a family, basically. Yeah. Benson walks in with the LUDs from Marv's cell phone. He got a call from Kern using the victim Annie Tassler's, you know, the original victim, mm-hmm. her cell phone the morning after the abduction and at regular intervals since. Craigan wants him to call the cell phone providers to get a trap on both cell phones. And then he sips his coffee in the most intense determined way i've ever seen in my life <laughs> so now we're at, now we're at the cell phone provider place the dude working here is perfectly cast as dude who works at cell phone <laughs> provider place yeah so according to the little like blips on the screen you can see the movements of each cell phone looks like marv's hauling ass and kern's in one place hunkering down until the cell phones converge outside of fisher's landing right outside the canadian border munch makes a call to the state police and tells toots they're heading back up there so we're outside fisher's landing munch and toot shows up atf dudes fucking gus stone or whatever his name is says that they spotted a blue tourist in a driveway of a farmhouse a half mile down the road so they think the car jacked mom and dad and kern are inside the house like hold up they might be able to surprise them because there's a bunch of trees blocking until they get to the driveway so all the these cops fucking peel into the driveway and surround the place munch and toots hide behind the cars and are like looking inside them for anybody atf kicks down the door and they all file into the home everyone in this episode insists on exclusively kicking doors open yeah and i feel like this is like stabler's best thing yeah where's stabler and his fucking steel-toed booty munch starts looking at the barn kicks the door open (laughs) to find a fucking dead mark with both cell phones duct taped to his chest hanging by his arms and he was gutted munch is pissed he's kicking over trash cans this kern dude is playing them super hard so toots phones rings atf stone tells munch that they have an apb out on the farm owners pickup and that customs and canadians are on alert toots had taken a phone call during this time so when he gets off the phone and comes back he says that it was craigan on the phone Canadians just fucking arrested Kern for shoplifting. Of all things. Yeah. Outside of an Ardo parts store in Mallorytown, which is just across the border. Apparently, the farmer's truck had a bad alternator, but thankfully, the mom and kid Kern kidnapped are fine. They were tied up in the back of the truck. Canadian police are holding Kern till Munch and Toots get there. Mm-hmm. Now they're at Ontario Provincial, Munch and Toots see Cabot, and she's there to serve the extradition warrant. And they're like, oh, what are you doing here? And she's like, duh, I'm serving the extradition warrant. They don't say it, but they're like, why didn't you want to ride with us? <laughs> right. <laughs> Kern's fighting it, of course, but serial rape and murder holds precedent, right? Cabot tells them that they have to make their case to the Canadian courts. The hostages, the mom and the kid, are fine physically and Munch wants to talk to them. Mm -hmm. So Munch and Toots and Cabot go into a room with Mrs. Michelson. She's the abducted woman. She's obviously very shook. She wants to go to the hospital where their daughter is, but Munch just has a few questions. It is so fucked that she's not with her daughter at the hospital. Yeah. The Canadians have asked a bunch of questions already, but Munch explains that they have their own, you know? He wants to know about the time she spent with Kern. Yeah, you know what? I bet that the Canadians, while they were asked, they're like, sorry, we just have one more question for you. Sorry, we just, (laughs) we're going to take you over there. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) When, uh... That's my impression of a Canadian. Sorry, Canadians. (laughs) (laughs) When Kern hijacked her, he had a knife and told her to move over and threaten to kill her daughter 
who was in the back seat. When they got to the farmhouse, Kern had her go to the front door of the farmhouse with him. An older woman answered and Kern asked for directions. And when the woman turned her back to get paper, I'm sure, or something, he cut her fucking throat. Mm. He also cut the older woman's husband's throat after he ran up to, like, protect his wife or see what was going on, you know? So Marv came later. Kern told Marv he had something to show him in the barn, and she heard the most horrific screams, and Kern came back covered in blood. So Kern changed his clothes, told them to get in the farmer's truck. He said it was going to kill her and her daughter, just like the rest of them. Kern said the police were so stupid they'll never find them, which Munch takes personal. You can see in his face, because he's the smartest man in the world, and we all know that. And he takes this deep nose inhale and exhale, and he's like, and in his head, he's like, I'm not stupid. Someone not thinking that Munch is a genius is his kryptonite. Right. So Cabot, Munch, and Toots leave the room. Marv was still alive when Kern gutted him. Ugh. Might start to worry that jurisdiction is going to get Kern off on an easy ass like shoplifting charge because there's like eight minutes left in the episode and like anything can happen. That's like two yeah. hours pretty much in like SVU time. Right. You know, they can pack so much shit. They can pack so much shit. That was Gabe's nickname in his <laughs> There. Ah! <laughs> Ah. Oh, so Cabot thinks Kern could be laying the groundwork for an insanity plea. Cabot has the journal and DNA, but she really needs a confession for the extradition hearing. Munch wants to be alone with him. Mm-hmm. So now we're in the interrogation room. Munch comes in and says to Kern, like, shoplifting, kind of an undignified end to such an ambitious operation. Munch tells Kern that his journal was so meticulous and almost works as a textbook on operations and resource management. And he said that he's offered it to the academy to teach future cops. He's obviously trying to gas this dude up and appeal to his ego. Right. And this dude, clean shaven, looks like fucking Joe Rogan. And I hate it. (laughs) Yeah, he does. And then Munch is like, but the academics want to focus on the mistakes you made. This is what gets Kern talking. He's like, what mistakes? Because you basic... Yeah. Kern. Yeah. Toots reminds him of Sarah Kimmel, the one who escaped the warehouse. And Kern said that that was Marvin's fault and that he should have eliminated Marvin then. But he served a purpose at the time. He hooked him up with Ernie, the guy who owned the cabin. He was one of Marv's buddies. Mm-hmm. He said it was a perfect refuge from the liberal hordes. Fucking IRL proud boy bullshit. I fucking hate yeah. this guy. Although I don't think proud boys are smart enough to do this kind of shit. They don't they punch each other while like they're naming off cereals as an initiation. I don't know. Like. Y- I swear I've seen some video. Like cereals, like like, Captain Crunch, Golden Grams, Grape Nuts. Well, they're getting Cookie Crisp, Cracklin' Old Bread. (laughs) Did you say Cookie Crisp? (laughs) Like, Cookie Crisp. (laughs) I swear they do that shit. They're fucking losers. So Kern killed Ernie to have his cabin. Proud boys. Proud boys like cereal. (laughs) What's your favorite cereal? Mama always makes me cereal in the morning. I like mush. <laughs> I like mush. So Kern killed Ernie to have his cabin. He used Kicks. Credit- Sorry. Kicks. Okay. <laughs> he used his credit card and IDs in different places so no one would, could trace him. Same shit with the Coakleys, although he didn't kill the wife right away at only after a few days, which is mm-hmm. fucking awful. Yeah. He wanted the bunker because he didn't like to quote eat where i worked and the saying is shit where you eat but we get it it's nbc yeah he wanted a more secure place munch wants to know how many he's killed so far they found 18 Mm -hmm. kern laughs and says there's like way more but he won't say and then munch gets pissed and he like slams his hands down he's like calls him a pathetic piece of shit and slams a chair down like (laughs) with his like little noodle arms do you (laughs) have you ever seen uh (laughs) adventure time 
Adventure Time. It's a fucking like cartoon. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And the guy's got the wiggly arm. Yeah, the yeah. wiggly. <laughs> that, that's like much. <laughs> He's like. <laughs> <laughs> Kern tells Munch he should be fucking used to this by now. He's like, I've been one step ahead of you guys ever since you stormed the warehouse. Every time I grabbed another target, I thought about you, Munch. Mm -hmm. And every time one of the women screamed for mercy, he had a little laugh at Munch's expense. And then Munch is like, well, I'm going to laugh, too. (laughs) He's like, I'm going to laugh when I watch him stick a needle in your arm. Kern rattles off like a fucking nerd. And he's like, Canada won't extradite on a capital offense unless America waves the death penalty. (laughs) And Munch has met his know-it-all fucking match. Yep. The second Kern fucking got to Canada, he knew he was, wasn't going to be put to death. And so Munch is pissed, leaves yeah. the room and asks Cabot if it's true that Canada won't extradite on capital offense. She says the Canadian Supreme Court tightened their restrictions last year. Munch says that if Kern saves his own neck, he wins. Munch wants him dead at some point. Yeah. You know, Cabot's like, bro, I didn't come all the way to go home empty fucking handed, John. You do your job. Let me do mine. Yeah. So she's going to fucking fuck shit up. Yeah, she is. So the uh, the Canadian lawyer or solicitor or whatever they fucking say up there is saying that the Canadian Constitution is very clear about not extraditing capital offenses. The judge asked him if he's worried about people using Canada as a refuge for their capital crimes. And the lawyer isn't, con- he's like, I'm not concerned with hypothetical situations, which he shouldn't be. It's a slippery slope fallacy type thing. Yeah. And he he's like, I'm not, I'm not concerned with hip- hypothetical situations and asked the court to interpret the law as it is written. By the way, this lawyer's name is Picard and his facial hair and outfit, sorry Canadians, make him look like a magician from Wisconsin Dells. Google it. <laughs> it's the Florida of our state. <laughs> it is. So Cabot says that they are not seeking extradition on the capital offense, but solely on the possession of stolen property. Ooh, she's being sneaky. Mm-hmm. The defending lawyer is like, oh, obviously she's trying to circumvent the courts. And it's like, you legit asked to make rulings by how the law is written, right? So she's doing it. Since the vehicle yes. Kern stolen exceeds the value of 5000 it qualifies for extradition under Canadian law. The defending lawyer is like, you guys, we all know he's going to be charged with capital charges once he's back over the border. And the judge says, of course, but we prefer to not be concerned with hypothetical situations. Oh, shit, they got him. <laughs> so the, the judge's rule in favor of extradition, Kern is not happy. He's like <laughs> looking down at his shoes and shifty eyed. Like, He's like, oh, I didn't see. He's like, I didn't plan for this. You fucking stupid. Okay, so we're at the courthouse. Yeah, they're in some kind of like embassy handoff room where they're like, okay, we're going to give you this fucking person in custody. Now he's in your custody mm-hmm. exchange place. Yeah. Toots and Cabot are watching Munch fucking pace around. Kern shows up in fucking shackles and looks so upset. The U.S. Marshals escort him into the room where they are. Munch looks at Kern like, I'm Darkwing Duck, bitch. Motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Cabot tells Munch and Toots to take custody of Kern. Kern walks up nose to nose with Munch. And Munch smiles and says, welcome home, Daryl. And then they and then kiss. he gives him butterfly kisses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, Tasha. I love you so much. I love you too. Uh, Munch tells Cabot, thanks. She's like, dude, bro, I got you. I'm I'm the smartest person you fucking know. And he's Wait. like, I didn't hear that last part, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Wait. So now Munch is at an apartment building. Sarah Kimmel's knocks on the door. Sarah Kimmel answers and he tells her she can turn her lights out. And she looks so happy. Mm. And that's the end. It was that's such a good episode. So good. Guess what? What? Such a good episode. Ripped from the headlines. Okay. Oh my God. 
I'm going to put a little disclaimer right at the beginning. Some of the shit that these guys did is more than I can bring myself to say out loud. You're still going to get the whole essence of everything. I don't think things need to be super graphic and gory for that to come across. But as always, if you're morbidly curious, if you go to our website, svupod.com, you'll find all the links to my sources. Wait, is it? morbid to be curious about that shit because I it's just called a morbid curiosity I don't think it's like disgusting of you to be curious to want to know this stuff especially when I'm sitting here going all right this stuff is so crazy I don't even want to say it out loud then mm-hmm. I mean I expect people to be like well what is it just know that it's fucked up okay all right let's get into it okay June 2nd 1985 a man was caught attempting to steal a table vice from a hardware store in San Francisco When store personnel called the police, the man had already fled. So when the police arrived, they found a different man who was with him, a large white man with a beard, attempting to straighten out the issue by paying for the stolen item and just, you know, apologizing for his friend. When asked by the police, the bearded man supplied his ID. His ID said that he was 26-year-old Robin Scott Stapley. The police were immediately like, dude, you're like 40. So they ran his ID Robin Scott Stapley is a missing person. Oh, oh. And also, since this guy showed back up in the same car that the thief was driving, police determined that they were going to go ahead and search in the trunk where the employees had said the thief had stashed the vice. So not only did they find the stolen vice, but also a gun with an illegal silencer on it. And it turns out that the car, a reported stolen beige 1980 Honda Prelude, belonged to another missing person, Paul Costner. So they're like, another missing person and a stolen car? We're going to search a little bit more. So then they go into the car. They found bullet holes in the seats and an electric bill with the name and address of Clara Lynn Belaz. Keep her in mind. We're not going to talk about her for a second, but keep her in mind. The cops decided, all things combined, they needed to take this dude in. So in the back of the squad car, on the way to the station, our bearded guy told them that his name was Leonard Lake and the other dude's name was Charles Ng. After a long line of questioning regarding the gun, stolen car, and two missing people, Lake was like, all right, I'm just going to write out a confession for you guys. So he asked interrogators for a glass of water, a piece of paper, and a pencil. Police brought him what he had requested and left the room. They gave him a minute to go ahead and write everything down. Did he fucking, like, make a bomb out of it or something? Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) When they returned, they found Lake on the floor convulsing. Lake had swallowed two cyanide capsules that he had kept in the lapel of his jacket. On the paper, he had written a suicide note. Dearest Cricket, I love you. I forgive you. Freedom is better than all else. I'm sorry, Mom, Patty, and all. I'm sorry for all the trouble. Love, Leonard. Okay, we're going to go back in time. Charles Ng, the thief, the accomplice, Mm -hmm. was born on December 24th, 1960 in Hong Kong to a wealthy and successful family. His father abused him pretty terribly in the name of discipline. So Ng grew up getting in more and more trouble, setting fires, shoplifting. In 1977, his parents were like not cool with any of this going on, any of his choices. So they sent him to Bentham Grammar School, which was a private school in North Yorkshire, England. North Yorkshire. I'm not going to do it. North Yorkshire. How would your grandma say it? How would my grandma? North Yorkshire. Cry I. I don't know, Tasha. Somewhere in England. Somewhere in London. Now, how would I know that? <laughs> what is this for? What is this for? Corbin? <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> so they sent him there in hopes of straightening him out. There he continued to get in trouble, having violent outbursts, stealing, and sending sexually explicit letters to his teacher. So he didn't last very long there. Ng was then sent to San Francisco to live with relatives. He continued to shoplift and get into trouble. This guy cannot stop stealing. Mm-hmm. Okay. After he was involved in a hit and run in 1979, he joined the Marines using a fake birth certificate to escape prosecution. He didn't make it very long there before he was caught for stealing $11,000 worth of military weapons while stationed in Hawaii. Jesus. Now for this, he faced 14 years, so he ran again, fleeing back to California. He sees this ad in the back of Survival Guide magazine and decides to answer it. I don't know if there still are, but like in magazines, there would be like, hey, looking for a pen pal, like-minded people, blah, 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 like whatever. Like um, yeah. it was like a friendship wanted ad mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. So he answers this thing that he sees and the person who had posted it was Leonard Lake. Who? Leonard Thomas Lake was born October 29th, 1945. He was the oldest of at least two sisters and one brother. When Lake was six, his parents split up and sent him and his siblings to live with his maternal grandmother. Everything I read said grandparents, but there was no mention of a grandfather at all. So it was seemed as if he was just being raised by this woman. And he was a pretty fucked up kid. He would take explicit photos of his sisters and then saved them to extort them for sexual act later. His sisters? Yeah. He would take the pictures of them and then be like, hey, I'm going to fucking show people this if you don't do sex things to me your brother yes the most fucked up part about that aside from all terribly of it? hurting his sisters yeah is i don't know ages or anything he was the oldest that's all i know oh, God. and i don't even know if he had more siblings than this there's very few details about this guy's childhood so his grandma actually caught him taking these photos and engaging in these sex acts not only did she not stop it but she encouraged it <gasps> what why so i have no idea i know i know i wish i could find more on the pathology of like what the fuck that was about so he also developed a porn addiction at a pretty young age and did some major young people serial killer shit one of the most prominent things that sticks out to me is he would trap and dissolve mice in chemicals when leonard lake was 17 he was what i would describe as a full-on textbook incel he read the book the collector and became fixated on it and used it as kind of a blueprint for his life. He was obsessed with this book. In short, have you read that book? Mm-mm. I don't think so. Okay. Hold on, let me let me Google it real quick. But keep going. It's a novel about a lonely dude who collects butterflies and works as a city hall clerk, but is obsessed with this teenage girl named Miranda. Then he wins the lottery, quits his job, kidnaps Miranda to keep her in his basement so like he has the hopes of her like falling in love with him if he keeps her captive long enough like the irl beauty and the beast situation okay so this is the book that this guy's obsessed with out of high school lake joined the marines and did two tours in vietnam as a radar operator he also did two years of psych treatment at camp pendleton where he was diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder mm-hmm. he was then discharged with severe psychological problems mm. so he had a medical discharge this dude went on to as one does in that time period join a hippie commune in san jose So this is where he married his first wife in 1975, but that didn't last long because she divorced him after finding out he was making amateur porn, like BDSM stuff, which, as we always say, is fine, Mm -hmm. but she wasn't down with it, and she didn't know he was into it when they got together, so, like, it's just not something everybody gets down with, and she wasn't. Yeah. So he's single again. He sticks with the hippie stuff for a while, living on Greenfield Ranch, which is the commune. At the same time, he's also stockpiling guns and nurturing this obsession with 
global nuclear war okay. and like the end of the world. Lake then meets 25 year old high school teacher's aide, Clara Lynn Belaz. Oh, yep. In 1977. Remember that? I remember the name. Remember? <laughs> do, do you remember? He nicknamed her Cricket. Oh. And by 1981, they were married. She was into all of his kinks and starred in many of his amateur movies. Okay. Great. Okay. So Charles Ng and Leonard Lake are corresponding after connecting in the Survivalist magazine. Mm -hmm. Okay. On the run from the military, Ng went to Lake to hide out. So the three of them, Ng, Lake, and Cricket, spent a lot of time together and pretty much lived like this weird little family. Mm -hmm. Like a family of doomsday preppers, but the scary kind. Yeah. They were hoarding weapons. Not long after they had started this weird little family, Lake and Ng were both arrested. Ng went to prison to serve his time for the weapons theft and the military desertion. Mm -hmm. Lake was also arrested for possession of stolen weapons, but Cricket bailed out Lake. And after Cricket bails him out, Lake doesn't show up to court. Now he's a fugitive. Right. Right. So 1983, Lake and Cricket moved to a remote house in Calaveras County. It's three hours-ish from San Francisco in the town of Wiseleyville. So it's this small, quiet, isolated town in the California foothills. Cricket's family owned the property, so Lake could pretty much go undetected. Yeah. Because he was a fugitive, he needed to hide a little bit better than that even. So he murdered his best friend slash best man from his wedding, Charles Gana, and stole his identity. What? Also, in the need for money, he invited his brother Donnie up to the house with the ruse of a house-sitting gig and shot him in the head while he slept. What? To steal from him. Yeah, okay. In June of 1984, Ng was released from prison and he went straight to Lake in the cabin that he shared with Cricket. These guys started building a bunker, you know, for the impending nuclear war that they would also have to enslave women in to repopulate the world. Of course. Yeah. Lake called this plan Project Miranda after the female character in the book The Collector. Okay. He also made these bullshit-ass Creep City philosophy tapes talking about his plan and also just being like the king of the incels. Oh my God. Here's a couple quotes I pulled from his philosophy tape. No. Oh God. Quote, I want to be able to use a woman whenever and however I want. And when I'm tired or bored or not interested, I simply want to put her away, lock her up in her cell and get her out of my sight, out of my life. Wow. Yeah. He goes on to say, quote, I believe that if I can construct a whole, I mean, the way this guy's talking to, I can't even, he's sitting in a chair looking 70s as fuck with his legs crossed, like his leg crossed over the other. If somebody told me that this is a video of a therapist talking, I would believe them. Yeah. He goes, I believe that if I can construct a holding cell, I can create a facility that is so stark and so empty that fairly quickly by a combination of painful punishments, if I'm displeased, I can quickly condition a young woman to cooperate with me fully it may not work however i want to try oh my god the first known victims of the pair was a family of three <sighs> lake and ing went to san francisco to buy a video camera from harvey dub who had posted an ad in the paper harvey along with his wife deborah and their baby boy sean then vanished harvey and sean were killed fairly quickly while Deborah was held captive, tortured, raped, and killed. The next was a family who had rented a house next door to the cabin where Lake and Ng and Cricket lived. Brenda O'Connor, Lonnie Bond, and their baby, Lonnie Bond Jr., disappeared. Oh my God. Again, the two men killed the dad and the baby and raped and tortured <sighs> Brenda until she was either murdered or died from her injuries. Oh my God. 
Then there was 18-year-old Kathy Allen. Ng knew her boyfriend from prison, so they murdered her boyfriend and then called her and told her her boyfriend needed her. When she showed up, they abducted her and took her to the cabin, tortured and raped her, keeping her in the cell. Oh my fucking God. Over the course of the next year, 25 people disappeared from the area. In a year? Oh my Mm -hmm. God. Oh my God. Okay. Let's go back to June 2nd. Okay. Lake had just taken cyanide and was rushed to the hospital. As the events were unfolding for Leonard Lake, Charles Ng was getting out of Dodge. After he fled the hardware store, he made his way back to the cabin. Cricket's there, and she's like, hop in. I'm going to take you to the airport so you can get out of here. Mm-hmm. Remember Paul Costner's car, the one that the dudes were driving? Yeah. Police found bullet holes and an electric bill in Cricket's name linking her to the property. So the cops were like, we got to talk to this bitch. Something crazy is going on. Like this guy just had a cyanide capsule on him. So after her questioning on June 3rd, Cricket agrees for cops to search the cabin. She arranges to take them up there the next day. Right now, they don't know what Cricket's role is in anything. Yeah. They don't even know that she helped Ng get away. You know, she's talking to the cops and she's like, oh my God, I don't know. Holy cow. Of course you can come search up at our house. So she arranges with the police to take them up there the next day. So the cops don't think maybe we should hold on to her or anything like that. She leaves the police station and calls Lake's mother and had her come up to the cabin. She's like, I need help with a few things. Will you, you know, come up to the house? Oh, no. So since then, Lake's mom has reported that she sat there in the house while Cricket disposed of boxes and boxes of she didn't know what it was. But it was evidence. Yeah. So she couldn't identify what Cricket had in these boxes, but there were some videotapes. Oh, God. That was one thing that she knew for sure that she did see. June 4th, police went with Cricket to the house and she was like, oh, yeah, I I came up yesterday to just clean up like before you guys came. And they were like, uh, that's not okay. You shouldn't have come here. And done that, did you throw anything out that we need to see? And she's like, well, I destroyed a couple videos that would be embarrassing for me. But And they were like, oh my God. all right, well, that's not cool, but we're going to, you know, search the house. They still don't know the kind of monstrous shit that was happening here. Yeah. So upon search of this small cabin, cops found video equipment in the master bedroom with a camera pointed at the bed. Okay. In the bedpost, they found holes drilled with electrical cords in them, which appeared to be restraints. Mm-hmm. Then they just kept peeling back layers and layers. They found red stains on the ceiling, bullet holes in the walls, lingerie with massive blood stains, oh and God. the underside of the mattress was soaked in dark red blood stains. Oh my God. The camera belonged to missing person Harvey Dubs, last seen by neighbors talking to two men before he and his wife and son vanished. Mm. Next to the cabin was a shed-slash-bunker-looking building. Cricket said that they couldn't search it. Mm -hmm. It had a padlock on it, and she's like, no, you know, your warrant's only for the house. This is all you're allowed to look at. Yeah. They're like, all right, um, we're going to get a new warrant for the entire property. Um, We'll be back the next day, but we're keeping you away from the property until then. Yeah. Because we learned our lesson. The next day, with their new warrant, they found vehicles on the property registered to Lonnie Bond and Robin Scott Stapley, Mm -hmm. both missing. Bond was the neighbor who had been renting a house with his girlfriend and infant next door to Lake. Okay. So you go into this other building, right? 
and it's a tool shed and it seemed like a typical workshop tools and fucking scrap wood and whatever else right shit to work on cars whatever until they found a secret passageway that led to a bunker that was built into the hill they just kept thinking there had to be something else because the building seemed weird like you go in and you're like the building is so much deeper than this and it goes into the side of this hill yeah so they're like there's something more behind it they walk through this passageway and they find a small room and in that room there was a copy of the collector Mm -hmm. lake's favorite book also on the walls were tacked 21 photos of nude women okay And on the wall, there was a two-way mirror. So the one on that side was the viewing window into a second compartment. And when they looked in there, they found a tiny airless cell. Next to the mirror was a nightlight that controlled the lights in this cell, which when the lights weren't on, it was pitch fucking black in there. Yeah. Coal mine black. Yeah. So they go into the cell. They found tools and handcuffs, a mattress, and a bucket. On the wall were typed written rules for captives to follow. Number one, I must always be ready to service my master. I must be clean, brushed, and made up with my cell neat. Two, I must never speak unless spoken to. Unless in bed, I must never look my master in the eye, but must keep my eyes downcast. Three, I must never show my disrespect either verbally or silent. I must never cross my arms or legs in front of my body or clench my fists. And unless eating, must always keep lips parted. Number four, I must be obedient completely. And in all things, I must obey and without question or comment. Number five, I must always be quiet when locked in my cell. And six, I must remember and obey any additional rules told to me. I must understand that disobedience, any pain, trouble, or annoyance caused by me to my master will be grounds for punishment. As for the rest of the property, they also found a 150-foot trench containing hundreds of items, including IDs of Kathy Allen, Brenda O'Connor, and Paul Costner. There was clothing. Robin Scott Stapley's work shirt with his name on it was in there. They brought in cadaver dogs who identified human bones scattered all over the property, multiple plots that had either been burned or crushed. Oh my fucking God. How have I never heard of this? This is so I know. That's what I said too. I could not believe I had never heard of this before. This is in, this is like insanity. I know. Disgusting. This is real. A real thing that happened. Yeah. I, oh, I'm just like nightmare, 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 nightmare. It just keeps getting worse. So this is when they found the baby teeth and they realized it wasn't just adults. (sighs) In total, they collected 45 pounds of bone, which equals at least six or eight humans. Along with that, they found six identifiable bodies. And three weeks later, they found more bodies. Two men that had been released into the woods and hunted for sport. Oh, my God. These fucking people. This is insane. This is insane. Mm -hmm. They also found a hand-drawn map, which led them to two five-gallon buckets that had been buried. One of the buckets contained more IDs, names of Vicks, and other victim identifiers, indicating that there may have been around 25 victims in total. The other bucket contained Lake's handwritten journals detailing the Miranda Project and two videotapes. The first was his disturbing but also fucking stupid ass philosophy tape you just know he thinks he's like like the character in the fucking episode like he just knows that he's so smart and he just think i'm so smart and everything like when really you're just like a fucking pile of garbage like you're like a oh, pile yeah. of puke so that was one video the other video was labeled 
the M ladies. Again, M for Miranda. Yeah. This video was footage of victims. So Brenda O'Connor is one of the victims identified in the video. In the footage of Brenda, Charles Ng is seen cutting her clothes off with scissors as she sits in restraints. And he can be heard saying, you can cry and stuff like the rest of them, but it won't do any good. We are pretty cold hearted, so to speak. Okay. Police stated that they couldn't be certain if victims were always intentionally murdered or were so brutally sexually tortured that they died from their injuries. <sighs> it took a team eight weeks to go through everything. Ng also documented the torture with a series of crude cartoons, which I have seen and you can find on the internet, and I don't recommend it. It depicts some of the most fucked up things I've ever seen and I wish I could unsee, especially involving the babies. <sighs> no... Of the victims seen in the videos, six were later found alive. Fifteen are still missing. Okay. But they couldn't identify really anybody in the bone fragments and stuff that they found on the property. So those 15 missing people, like, may very well just, like, be in that group, you know? Yeah. So all of this time, there was an international manhunt taking place for Charles Ng. On July 6th, 1985, a month after the initial hardware store shoplifting situation, Ng, who just couldn't fucking help himself, was arrested for shoplifting a can of salmon <laughs> in Calgary, Alberta. So Canada wouldn't extradite him to a state where he would face the death penalty. It took six years of campaigning by victims' families, but Ng eventually faced an extradition hearing where it was then granted. Within an hour, he was on a plane back to California. They're like, let's get this shit going. Right. But then Ng worked the system for the next seven years. Oh, my God. Constantly filing motions to move dates, switch attorneys, judges. Like whenever you read about this particular case, like his court case specifically, he cost millions of dollars. Yeah. He found every single loophole. But finally, after a 14 year wait, the trial would commence. Ng was charged with 12 counts of capital murder and the trial lasted eight months. And even through the trial, he was trying to get shit. Like, he got a hold of a juror's phone number. What? Called her. Yeah. Holy and she, shit. like, I saw an interview with her, and she was like, imagine getting a fucking phone call from a psycho who knows that you're on the jury of his fucking murder trial. Jesus. Yeah. That's so, terrifying. Insane. So two huge pieces of damning evidence on Ng included his own drawings linking him to two of the Vicks detailing horrible acts. And he had them like decorating his cell. It was very bizarre. Ugh. So it was those along with the crushed bones from multiple burn sites. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind that the property is in Cricket's name. Okay. Okay. The M Ladies tape was the clinching evidence, though, because you can see his active participation in the torture of these victims. His big defense was, again, like we just released the episode Folly, where it's like this was one person's thing and then another person got into it because they like wanted to connect with this, yeah. like the sick person. Yeah. Well, like that was kind of his defense where he was like, this was all Lake. Who's dead? He died in the ICU four days after he took the cyanide. So he's dead. He's not facing any kind of fucking consequence. Ng's like, my dad was like super mean and I needed like a dad. Like that's kind of what he was for me. And then I just did stuff that he wanted because he wanted it. But like, mm. who cares? Yeah, that's an explanation, not an excuse. Fuck, I tell you that right. much. Anyway, so what's going on with Cricket? Yeah, what is going on with fucking Cricket? 
Cricket was given full immunity on 19 murder charges in exchange for testifying against Ng. When she was called, the prosecution just went over the details of her deal. Like, okay, so basically you have full immunity. And she's like, yeah. And then when the defense was going to cross-examine her, they didn't say anything to her. They just dismissed her. So not one question from either side was about the cabin or what had happened there. Nothing. To this day, her immunity deal is one of the craziest deals ever made. There's video evidence from these tapes of her talking about the men making people disappear and her knowledge about it. Also about her desires to obtain 14 and 16 year old girls and watch them perform sexual acts. She was a high school teacher's aide. My God. Oh, my fucking God. She aided a fucking fugitive more than once. Mm -hmm. She destroyed evidence. Like there's a million things and she had 100% full immunity. Not even like kind of a good deal. She had like, I don't get it. I don't, I would not find anything to make it make sense. And even experts were like, this deal doesn't make fucking sense. In the end, Ng was convicted on 11 counts of capital murder and was sentenced to the death penalty. As of February 2021, he's still on death row in San Quentin. And Ricket Belaz apparently now goes by Lynn Kessler and lives in Pacifica, California. No more detail on her. I can't find anything. I found her name. And so then I was like trying to find, you know, her. Yeah. Couldn't. And then I was even going down like Reddit threads of like people who are obsessed with this case. Even those people are like, she's made herself very scarce. Oh my God. I hated all of that. Oh, that was so terrible. It was a good story. I mean, it was just awful. It was awful. It was awful to read. It's awful. Terrible. Next week, we're going to cover season two, episode 19, Parasites. The twin of a murdered woman claims her sister left an abusive husband and began taking advantage of wealthy suitors, but the homicide investigation suggests differently. Damn. <laughs> Shit. Pew, pew, pew. That's going to be good. Follow us on all social media at SVUPod. Check out our website, SVUPod.com. Okay, so we have a new Little Bit Loud podcast. It is called Crime Country. Crime Country? Yeah. Um, it's a comedy true crime podcast going on a virtual road trip across the U.S. telling crime stories one state at a time. Whoa. Maggie and Amber are the hosts, and they say we're not experts, we're not professionals, but we're having a good time. Hell yeah. Episode 23 is about Wisconsin. <gasps> yeah, so check that out. And they're very complimentary about our home state, which is like really nice. Oh. They're like, Wisconsin, cheese, squeaky cheese. <laughs> and I'm like, that's it. That's all. That's, that's all we got. <laughs> so every one of their episodes is based on a state, and then they each tell a true crime story from that state. Whoa. What are they going to do so, when they get to 50? I don't know, maybe start over? Yeah. Or maybe they'll go to another country? Well, they have Puerto <gasps> Rico. That's a suggestion for you guys. Anyway, check out that podcast. Thanks for hashtagging a little bit loud, you guys. Hold on. I'm going to write that down. I forgot already. Crime Country. Crime Country. Yes. Yeah. Crime Country. Is it spelled C-U-N-T-R-Y? No, but it oh. is explicit. <laughs> <laughs> Crime Country. I, I put an R in there, dude. Oh, you did? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Little bit loud. <laughs> Don't forget to send us any questions or thoughts about the season or anything you want us to talk about. Or ghost stories. Um, or, uh, or fucking ghost stories. <laughs> <laughs> For our TNG Q&A after the season wraps. Oh, yeah. In just like a few episodes. All right. That's it. Bye. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Can you do, can you do this? 
グググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググググof the two of us. Just because of that? Because you can do fast mouth noises. I can't do fast mouth noises. That was the only fast mouth noise you've ever heard me do. You could do <laughs> I sounded like a like a creaky oh, door. <laughs> you could just go in your kitchen and grab the book and be like, Krajan. And it's it was just oh, you say my maiden name. <laughs> maiden. 